Hello, and welcome to the Leela Life Show. I'm your host, Linda Tate. This is the show for raw conversations about life and business. Connect, laugh, and enjoy with this week's episode. Welcome to the Leela Life Show. This is your host, Linda Tate. Hi, and I have a special guest, Jordan Smith. He is a pastor of Memorial Presbyterian and Providencia, Providencia, West Palm Beach. Beach. And he is a race warrior, a social justice Viking from Edinburgh, Scotland. He has a master's degree in divinity. He has three colors in his eye. And if you're on the Instagram, stay tuned because the... The Voracious Facebook is a forthcoming food blog. And you can find me myself at Tartan underscore unicorn is my handle. I knew you as a hungry man on a Honda. That was when I had a Honda. Now I have a Vespa. So, but when did you go to Tartan Unicorn and why? I wanted so the national animal of Scotland is a unicorn, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to channel that because Jordan at Smith was a little basic, mm-hmm. and Tartan is the material in a kilt. So I just wanted to channel my spirit animal and my national dress. The funny thing is, I was picturing a tartine <laughs> this whole time. Like a little bit of French toast? Yeah. And with it's some like, avocado or yeah, whatever on tartin it? tartine unicorn. I was like, tartine. I think it'd be pretty illegal to eat unicorn. <laughs> uh, so for today's show, other than talking about eating unicorn, Jordan's also uh, recently plant-based. 100%. Like 65%. Yeah, so mostly moving the dial. I watched Game Changers, Uh and I was so convicted. What part got you in that? Just the treatment of animals, how it plays into environmental issues, the money of it, the water, the everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I, my parents are vegetarian. Okay. And my mom had like stage three cancer like six years ago. Mm -hmm. So after that, she went veggie. And so anytime I go home, I eat veggie. Um, I just feel so much better when I'm on it. That's awesome. What's been the hardest part to give up? Taco trucks. Taco trucks. Mm -hmm. If you need taco truck recommendations, I have all the best. Okay. Plant-based. Yeah. But do you still eat cheese? Mm Mm-mm. Oh. Why don't go back to the UK a little bit? But you're not messing around with it here. No. Because it's not pasteurized. When, When cheese isn't pasteurized, that's when it develops all its flavor. But that's one thing I don't understand about America. It's like, I won't. Brie is too dangerous to be sold at Walmart, but you can buy an M16. Hmm. That doesn't make sense. That's an American mic drop. It is. That would be, that's like, could be a whole funny blog of like questions for Americans. What is more dangerous, camembert or a hand grenade? (laughs) Looks like it's the camembert. We don't trust the pesky French. Oh, gosh. Um, So we were talking about what we could talk about today and... Something that came up for you was about being present now and the opportunities that come up when you're present. And my understanding is like being in flow versus resistance. Why is that so heavy on your heart right now? Yeah, well, I think it's just been my experience of late. I think when you're so focused on goals uh, and the next step mm-hmm. that you often miss like what's good about today. Um, and you can, we can almost work, overwork or force things to happen that might not necessarily be meant to happen in the way that we see them right now. And I think part of, part of my journey is sobriety. Mm-hmm. And so that I got sober three years ago. 
um, an integral part of that journey is taking one day at a time mm-hmm. and being aware of where you are, what's going on, and being able to react, react to situations in like a calm way and be aware of others, be aware of myself. Um, but beforehand, I was just so focused internally in like the negative way that I wasn't present to others, wasn't present to myself. Um, and that's been an integral part of my spiritual journey is like what is going on around me, what's going on within myself. And really the, the question I try and ask myself every day is where am I? Like where am I right now? Like what's on my heart, what's on my mind? What are the opportunities where I can be of best influence? And where can I really, um, where's their energy to like make a difference and change things? Was that learned? I think I had intellectual knowledge of it mm-hmm. um, through my school and, and kind of growing up. But my, my hand was forced to like start to do it because I realized that like in order for me to be a functioning human being mm-hmm. and not stuck in the, the molasses of addiction, I had to practice that every day. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a balance between quote-unquote goal setting mm-hmm. and presence. Mm-hmm. Or, or would you say there's no place for goal setting? I, I think you need to be aware of your giftings and your skill sets and like what are the where are the opportunities for success around you and I think when you have where opportunity meets skill I think that's where the, the magic can really happen mm-hmm. and I think you need to have wise people around you who can help shape that but goals are absolutely necessary but sometimes they, they change along the journey so not to be that to not be blinkered by your goal mm-hmm. but to kind of hold it open-handedly to say this is the direction I am headed towards but it might vary. It might change a little bit along the way. I always say this or better. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's yeah, good. I think about goals and like dreams and I'm like, well, this came into my mind and my consciousness for some reason. Mm-hmm. And some reason being like, in my mind, kind of like a God reason. And then if it's not that, like it'll always be better. And then part two to that is like, and the way we get there could be really hard mm-hmm. <laughs> or in ways that I don't even expect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the trust. Mm-hmm. So when did you take this idea of presence from intellect to practice? In, in the past three years. Okay. Yeah. And so the catalyst being like your sobriety yes. journey. Got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've mastered it? No, not at all. How do you like pr- practice it daily? I think it's, Starting your day off um, with kind of a little moment of stillness mm. that may be like just like a minute or three minutes. So I kind of just sit at my end of the bed, edge of my bed and just try and like center myself. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's more to do with throughout the day being in tune with your gut um, and just being sensitive to the people around you and yourself. And so often like we can, like I have a super busy calendar mm-hmm. uh, and I used to have like little phases where I'd like open up my calendar at like seven in the morning and be like, oh my God, I have 15,000 things to do today. Mm-hmm. But to say like, okay, these are the things I'm going to do, but I'm still open to kind of be flexible with that. Mm-hmm. Like even last week, I was I was just going for like a little um, evening stroll in the cool weather and just listening to some music. And a friend that I hadn't thought about in months kind of came on, on my mind. So I just texted him saying, hey man, what's up? What's going on? And it turned out like that morning, his son had like broken his elbow. So he was just in like a crazy space. So I was like, huh, like there's no coincidence that like that guy came on my mind right then because he needed somebody to reach out to him mm-hmm. and it just happened to be me. And I think all of us can have moments like that every day if we're sensitive and we're attuned to like, where is my bodily energy taking me? And like, what are the opportunities I can have to be of service to others and to myself? So you say that as like 
listen to your gut, mm-hmm. also known as... Well, it's like divine energy, because I think every single one of us carries that divine spark. And it's our duty to kind of fan that into the flame. Do and you... I think the more... Sorry, the, the more kind of present we are to that, I think the more those opportunities come our way and the more effective we can be in them. The, like, do you resonate with intuition? hundred percent. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's, it's learned, but it's also innate. Mm-hmm. And it's like the more you kind of are in tune to it, the more like those opportunities can come. So <laughs> I didn't tell all the reasons why I love you, mm. but I... I guess I must have met you around a time where I was feeling like weird about the church. Mm-hmm. And and I had an experience where I was like raised very Lutheran and some of the teachings didn't resonate. I just felt like I needed space. And mm-hmm. I was coming into this very like new age, yogic, deep, would it be Western or Eastern? Eastern. Eastern philosophy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of like that making sense. And then I'm seeing like, oh, there's this like uh, nexus of information where this crosses over and it all seems to connect. And then I meet Jordan and, you know, you're a pastor, I guess not officially when we met. In training. I was, I was in Pastor in training, yeah. But uh, it was like this connection to faith and spirituality that just felt so different than what I had been used to mm-hmm. and in like a refreshing way. And some of what I was learning, which you could call like new agey felt still like applicable. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes like the conversation around intuition could feel almost like unsafe to talk about like in a church, mm-hmm. in church language. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whether you say intuition, Holy spirit, you know, divine spark, whatever language, Mm -hmm. like there's so much crossover there. And, uh, I think so much of what we're able to do as human beings and like in that being part of our humanness is tap into that Mm -hmm. in whatever way. So a short backstory. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. And I think part of that is just the historical backdrop. We've like the church find itself in the U S is that it was so heavily influenced by the enlightenment and Western intellectualism mm-hmm. that like for you to be a good Christian is for you to be, to know lots of things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, theology, you know, the Bible. Um, but like the first 1500 years of Christians couldn't read and didn't have access to the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, and, and let alone the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. So if you were a first century Christian in Rome, you may have the letter of Romans. You may have part of Mark's gospel and you may have a little bit of first Corinthians, mm-hmm. but the rest of it, you just don't have because partly it might have been written yet or it was in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And the ancient Christians, the way they talked about God was, one of the poets says, God is closer to you than you are to yourself. Mm-hmm. God flows through your arteries. So like they're historically, um, I think what you describe as sort of like Western, I think is fundamentally a Christian way of thinking, mm-hmm. of intuition with self. And it um, got like sort of lost along the way. Or as it was influenced by intellectualism uh, and the Enlightenment, um, naturally, it became more intellectualized, mm-hmm. and the spiritual side of things um, kind of faded away. And so, there's a co- I have like so many thoughts mm-hmm. going, but is Thoreau? He's part of early Christianity in some way, or no? Mm-hmm. Thoreau, like the the author, he'd, he'd be later. He'd be later. Mm-hmm. Um, where where does he fall on like the spectrum? I'm, I'm not super familiar. Okay. I'd have to read a little bit more, but I, I think he's 
influenced by a Christian culture mm-hmm. and, and a spiritual thinker, but I'm not too sure. How. He started going into almost like uh-huh. environmental, right. uh-huh. I forget uh-huh. what like the, the sure. he- heading of that is called. Uh-huh. Um, and then we've talked about this before, but like, is there room for Christian mysticism in some of this conversation? I think Christian mysticism is an integral part of the Christian tradition. And it's a part of the Christian tradition that has like massively influenced my life. Mm-hmm. Like Gregory of Nazianzus wrote a book called The Cloud of Mystery mm-hmm. and has this phrase called dazzling darkness. Mm-hmm. And like those are the places like God is so all consuming. It's like being in the darkest of night mm-hmm. that it's all surrounding, but it's dazzling and it's bright. And that's how you connect with God. Teresa of Avelia was a Spanish mystic and she wrote a book called The Interior Castle. Mm-hmm. And she imagines your spiritual life. And like you're building a castle within yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a room that's like a diamond throne. And Mm -hmm. that's the room we're all trying to find. Um, And it's the questions of who sits on that throne. Mm -hmm. And she she would say that if she had an argument she needed to have with someone, she would imagine having the argument in like the living room of the interior castle within herself. And she would play it out and it would feel safe, it would feel comfortable. And then when you have that conversation with someone, it's already kind of happened. It's like your God self or your mm-hmm. higher self mm-hmm. is having it. Mm-hmm. There's just so much interchangeable language 100%. that feels literally like the yeah. same thing, but yeah. the stigma of right. that. The first 1,500 years of written theology was from a more mystical perspective. Mm-hmm. I was watching something this week, and it was talking about a la- lost chapter in the Bible. Um, I forget what the name of it was, mm-hmm. and it was talking about what I hear so commonly in like mindfulness Mm -hmm. and uh, mindset work, but it's talking about your heart center and connecting your thoughts Mm -hmm. to your feelings Mm -hmm. and that connecting your belief system Mm -hmm. and that being how you live in your present moment. Mm -hmm. And that this was actually stated in this one chapter of the Bible Mm -hmm. that then later was taken out of the Bible Mm -hmm. and it being like very like mystical almost. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, like, whatever you would deem as new age is actually rooted in, like, really, really old-school depths. Right. I think it's, like... it's purely because we're spiritual beings. <laughs> right. And we're wired to be spiritual. Right. And the language resonates because it's true of our human experience. Mm-hmm. And, like, in the Bible, the Hebrew, and when it talks about when you feel something, mm-hmm. it's the same word for your intestines. Mm-hmm. Like, it's from that deep part of your body. And when it talks about head, head and heart are the same word. Mm-hmm. Like, head is always connected to heart. So what about, so for the person that is like, no, like there, we, we exist on earth. We die, like nothing exists. Mm-hmm. There, like God doesn't exist. I don't believe in anything outside of myself in this experience. Like mm-hmm. what do you think's really going on for that person in that belief system? I think it's hard to speak broadly. Yeah. And it's all to Cause do it's so individual. Individual experience. Yeah. But I would say that there's been a negative experience of, religion mm-hmm. and and rightly so so many egregious things have been done in the name of christianity other religions and that everyone has a right to be suspicious mm-hmm. of that and i think like that's their truth for just now mm-hmm. and i've definitely had moments in my life where I've, i felt like there can't be anything beyond like this and now mm-hmm. and it's just really tough and, and i think that's part of just a spiritual journey is you have moments where sometimes you feel like you're on the mountaintop and other times you're like the ceiling of the earth is collapsing on top of me. Like, what is going on? And so I think it's hard to speak generally, but I think people like me who have positions of authority in churches have to do a better job of owning the systemic things that have been done in the name of Christianity for for me in order to try and help conversations like that. Mm -hmm. Do you follow Michael Beckwith at all? Mm -mm. 
I get down with him sometimes. I'm just curious. I'll send you some of his stuff. Um, he he had a, he has more of like a new age approach to um, church, but there's gospel, and he is would we say mega denominational? Like that's yeah. the feeling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I don't know. I think for some people, like, do you feel like you can get spiritually fed outside of church? Uh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll get spiritually fed in a yoga class. I'll get spiritually fed sitting on the beach by myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the lies the church has told is that the church holds the keys to spirituality. Mm-hmm. But really, God is everywhere. God is in all of us. God is in nature. And we have those moments in everyday life. And I think the church should be equipping people to flourish in those moments, to see those moments, to realize those moments, and to know that every person has the tools to access them. It's not the church that gives you those tools. And that's the way that the, the, the church, when it's done wrong, is said that we have the monopoly on spirituality. You come to us and you receive it. Right. But really, it should be that the church is equipping people to go out into the world and to bring attention to those spiritual moments wherever they may be occurring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, too, being able to know that, like, you're 100% whole mm-hmm. with or without us. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you come here, like, it'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus it feeling like, come here because of how broken you are. Right. And, like, just remember how broken you yeah. are and keep coming right. 100%. here. 100%. <laughs> it's, like, two very different experiences. Yeah. And then almost, like, playing into that. Right. Such a and different... And the, the, the Christian belief would be that, like, Jesus was fully God and fully man. But the way it's talked about is that he was only fully God, and let's not really talk about the man part. Like, mm-hmm. for you to be a good person is to reject your humanness and just put Jesus all over the top of it. Mm-hmm. But really, the conversation is, like, how do I embrace the, the brokenness and the goodness of my humanity? And that's the journey where our spiritual flourishing happens, is when we embrace and look at our humanity, not just ignore it and become over-spiritual zealots. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody wants to be around. <laughs> what about... Um Oh gosh, there! I had a deep thought that escaped me because the real thought I had is like, so why? Deep, it's beyond words. Yeah, I was like, why is why does the Bible say weird stuff sometimes? Because or, people are weird, and it was written by people. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I remember it, but that's a great answer, <laughs> yeah. and that's a good way to remember that. Right. And also, like the translations of the mm. Bible, like. Mm in its first form to today, like some things might've gotten lost in translation. For sure. Like Mm -hmm. they have, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like, I guess the living word is in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And nothing has meaning except for the meaning you give it. So perhaps like translation of. And context and history are like key things. Right. But like when we read something, we might be like, that is the weirdest thing in the world. But. More often than not, the historical context can make sense of some of those things. Mm -hmm. I think there is a real art in being able to translate that into like a 2019 relevant Mm -hmm. experience and then taking, extracting the message from that. So we were talking a little bit about God and like God in all of us. Mm -hmm. So that would be considered non-dual versus dual. Mm -hmm. Do you know much about this? Uh, uh. So what do you think? Linda said she would ask me open-ended questions, and I think that's very open-ended. <laughs> I think yes. Uh-huh. Yes. The, okay. So, well, that's what, like, see, like, our political climate for just now? Yeah. I think that's a manifestation of 
like that whole conversation is if, if so, something has to, if it's not one way, it's the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And then for me, it's like, which would be dual. Right. Right. Or right. would that be non-dual? Non-dual. non-dual. It's like dual. opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So non- I was gesticulating, but I know you, you, you can't see that right now. So non-dual is the separation mm-hmm. and dual is the mm-hmm. oneness. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to me, like dualism is the elevated experience of the oneness mm-hmm. in all of us, in God and, mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And then we, kind of like I'm talking consciously like if I could talk about a conscious like spectrum of belief Mm -hmm. to me like dualism could be like the mecca of Mm -hmm. and non-dual is like separation or non-duals the release of wanting to have because dualism is like two Mm -hmm. and and it's like the being able to hold things open-handedly not having to define things one way or the other so non-dual is the oneness and Mm -hmm. dual is right the two, mm-hmm. which would make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought it was opposite. Right. Like golf. Like, Blue score wins. It's <laughs> <laughs> got nothing to do with golf. <laughs> oh That's a binary thought yeah. by Linda. <laughs> oh, there was a parallel Four. for me, I promise. Yeah. But so non-dual is the oneness, mm. which is funny that it would be non-dual mm. because I think the non negates what the message is supposed to be. Or is non because you're not defined by one framework. Mm -hmm. And then dual is separation. Mm -hmm. So is there space for us seeing like the God within Mm -hmm. and the heaven within and Mm -hmm. everything within and the oneness Mm -hmm. versus like this versus that right versus wrong? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Do you feel like the church is able to communicate that? I think the church has lost the access historically to how that was taught about in the early church. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so many factors, like political factors, historical factors, and that have made the church want to see things in black and white. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's such an integral part of Western culture, mm-hmm. and that we're so influenced by the Enlightenment, by Western thinking that, that that's just the way we operate as people. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it, it's it's not isolated to the church alone. Right, was, we're seeing the mirror everywhere. Right, right, and and I think that culturally we're we're shifting away from that. Um, so that it's starting to kind of break away a little bit. I remember learning about non-dual, and it was through the yogic traditions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Like, this is, mm-hmm. like, we are one? And, mm-hmm. like, God? Wow. Mm-hmm. That feels a lot more elevated mm-hmm. than being so separate and removed from God, and then that feels like the suffering and, like, you're bad. Right. I think in the separation, that's where I associate. And then I think through a Christian context, it can be like, you've sinned and ask for forgiveness and almost like, can I say the trauma of sin? Right, exactly. I think, so uh, I think you're in this show talked about it. It's like the difference between Game of Thrones and um, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. The, like the, the church when it's badly has, has talked about it like it's Lord of the Rings. It's mm-hmm. so, like, it's very clear who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. That like, the bad guys are the orcs, like these horrible, evil, troll, like not human looking like people. And the good guys are like the little hobbits and the elves who do all the good stuff. But that's just not true of the human experience. People embody goodness, people embody badness. In all of us. And we're not just all good, we're not just all bad. Mm-hmm. So Game of Thrones is much more, there's character, so Jamie Lannister, mm-hmm. he's sleeping with his sister, but he might be the most morally upstanding person in the whole show. Mm-hmm. So you're like, that experience is much more like our experience. Is mm-hmm. that there, there's there's good parts of ourselves, there's bad parts of ourselves, and it's not just all black and white. Mm-hmm. And I think the dualistic part has said it's all black and white. Mm-hmm. You're either a sinner or you're not. 
and almost like you can more identify with the sin because that's what's named right. versus mm-hmm. the greatness. And that's what we feel. We feel the inner shame. We feel it as we're, we're, these are the parts of ourselves we feel that don't fit. Mm-hmm. And I think they feel like they don't fit because of our innate spirituality. Mm-hmm. That we're like, this just this is holding me back from flourishing as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think it, it's helpful to kind of think about it as we, 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 we carry both parts within ourselves well and i think so you're so interesting for so many reasons but mm-hmm. you have a background also in had studied counseling mm-hmm. and so when i hear you saying like the shame immediately for me i'm like oh this connects directly to mental health right mm-hmm. and like so much of maybe depression and anxiety being rooted in that deep dark guilt shame place whether mm-hmm. it has anything to do with religion or not mm-hmm. um and then we're seeing that interplay every day mm-hmm. through people's experience of mental health 100%. Right? 100%. And then I think... And even just the, the how comfortable we feel about talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. And in a culture like ours that's like very scientifically based, it's that, oh, if you have this problem with you, take a drug and you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't work like that. Right. It's much more fuzzy. It's much more... Like, you can't necessarily frame it. Like, there's no... Like, you can grow up in a perfect house but still be depressed. Right. Or you can grow up in a super dysfunctional environment and not be depressed. Mm-hmm. But there's no clear causality to what causes it. Um, so it makes it more difficult to hold, more difficult to bring out. Um, it's Vulnerability can be viewed as a sign of weakness. And if mm-hmm. you say, I'm struggling mentally, it's like, well, just suck it up and get over it. Mm-hmm. But like, what a lie that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we can't, this is again part of like the, the enlightenment. If you can't really see it, you don't want to name it. Mm-hmm. So you can't really see, see spirituality. You can't really see mental illness. So it's much more difficult to frame. But our experience tells us it's so real, it's so true. So for you, right, you have like a, at a certain point, whether you say addiction or mm-hmm. however you would have identified that led you to sobriety. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this complete life change mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. very much has a mental health piece. Mm-hmm. And I think obviously a health, a faith piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you sometimes see this disconnect or separation between mental health and faith? Maybe not so much in the world that you're in in like traditional mental health or like clinical psychology is are they so apt to connect that to like purpose and faith i think a lot of people will say like jesus will fix it like pray it away and sure i believe in the power of prayer but i think we have to access the tools that are available to us mm-hmm. um, and mental health is a real thing and like we have to talk about it openly and mm-hmm. it's not a sign of weakness and um, it's not a sign of deficiency um, and i think that the church has to be a place where people feel safe to talk about that yeah. um, and not be okay. And it not be okay and it not be like, and you're a sinner. Right, absolutely. And absolutely. it not be like, because I what it's so interesting, you saying like Jesus will fix it, mm-hmm. where like, so you're push, putting away personal exactly. responsibility exactly. on Jesus exactly. versus, and the, spec, the side of it I'm talking about is like leaning on your faith and like that connection to say spirit, mm. to feel tapped mm. in every day, yeah. which is a whole different side and, of and it. And the way, the way we talk about faith is such a personal thing. Mm-hmm. And the, the integral part of faith for me is community. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you are struggling with those things, like I would hope that the com- your faith community around you holds you up in those times. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the, the faith aspect is communal and that your faith community should be able to support you and offer you the help and care in those moments where you need it the most. Mm-hmm. And not be refined to, like, your personal struggle within yourself. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of opportunity there that I'm hearing for these religious structures to hold space for mental health. 100%. 
in helping a person take that personal responsibility and then connect to their faith from that space versus like, I don't have to deal with this. God's got me. Yeah, I, I unfortunately, a few months ago, I went to a funeral of a friend who um, took his own life mm-hmm. and he was a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to the funeral. It was an African-American guy and the funeral was just huge. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of this uh, staff at the church wore green. Um, as a sign of like mental health awareness. Mm-hmm. And one of the pastors, the first guy to speak, gets up to the microphone and says, some of you have heard it said that men can't cry. And he just paused and he said, I want to tell you that's a lie from the devil. Mm-hmm. Men can't cry. Men need to cry. And we all need to feel the things that we feel because mm-hmm. all our emotions are God-given. And I was just really struck by um, like that space. It would have been so easy to kind of just ignored the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. But the first thing that was said to that audience was to um, give people permission to feel what they were feeling. And that to me, like there's this almost like sexist stigma of like, like you said, like men can't mm-hmm. cry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, like working in finance, like there would be predominantly men that I'm working with, you know, this expectation of how you show up. And one of my dad's managers had, taken his life mm. years prior and it's like maybe the way men and women not maybe men and women express differently mm. um but where's the safe space for men to express right. so that it's not like i'm i'm done right and the implication is men don't cry because women do mm-hmm. you know so for sure interesting mm. so you brought up community and you are a race we said race warrior mm. what inspired you to step into that space well yes yeah, so i moved to the states in 2015 um, and some of you may remember there was a small presidential election going on at that time uh, and i felt i couldn't vote obviously and um, but i felt kind of compelled to do something about why i felt was just a toxic um, environment around the whole conversation of race and um, so i reached out to a pastor um, who I knew in the Tamron neighborhood of West Palm Beach, which is a historic African-American neighborhood. And he's a pastor at the oldest church in West Palm Beach called Tabernacle Missionary Baptist. His name is Kevin Jones. So I emailed him and just said, hey man, uh, can we grab lunch? And so we had lunch and another friend, Keith Case, came and we talked about just the delicateness of the space we're feeling and the need to provide a space for the stories of the African-American community to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so ever since then, we've th- we started a little thing called The Conversation. So um, our church, Providencia, uh, and Tabernacle will get together once a quarter to hear stories about race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it blew my mind. Because I think this might be true for like any immigrant, is you have this sort of romanticized view of America. <laughs> uh, and I, I describe it like as kind of like falling madly in love with someone who's bipolar. Mm-hmm. There, there are these things that are incredible or awesome, and you feel like you're on the mountaintop, and then you wake up warm morning and think, what on earth is going on? Like, this is just insane. And the race story is part of that. And it's historically... And there's a book by Ibrahim Kendi called Stamp from the Beginning, which is really influential. Another one, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, that really helped shape that people of color in America have a vastly different experience um, than me. As a white guy, I have a 1 in 24 chance of going to jail. If I was black, it'd be a 1 in 4 chance of going to jail in my life. And that's just crazy. Mm -hmm. Just purely because of that. Purely because of that. And then you look at um, redlining, you look at access to education after World War II in Vietnam for the GI Bill, there's just a vast yawning chasm of disparity. Mm -hmm. And as a pastor, my church is predominantly white. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to have that space to hear what their experience was like. And it's blown my mind. It's been one of the most kind of (laughs) humbling experiences Mm -hmm. that if I was African-American, I would say, I don't want to talk to you people. Mm -hmm. No way. But for them to be continually open, continually hospitable to say that 
yes, we're here. And it's our honor and our privilege to sit and listen to their stories of pain and how they're... Because I never think about being white. When was the last time you thought about being white? Mm-mm. Yeah. Another moment that stuck out to me was an old roommate of mine. Uh, he gave me a ride one time, and the first thing he's he's a person of color, and the first thing he did was he took his license out of his pocket and put it on his dash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, "What are you doing, man?" And he said, "Oh, if I get pulled over, I'm not reaching into my pockets." And I was like, Phew. "Like, I just cannot imagine wow. every time I need to go somewhere, like having to think about how my color could be an influence on what may even happen on this journey." And I think as is, I've got, I've been invited to do some kind of training um, with REI and the Racial Equity Institute um, and then Organize Against Racism. I've been involved in kind of leading some of um, their work in West Palm Beach. And it just continued to be a space that I think is completely necessary, A, as a pastor, that the church has had such a role in the race story in America. In a positive or negative way? So, or some have been positive, yeah. but mostly been negative. Right. Then I feel like a duty and an obligation to to change that narrative mm-hmm. to say that white pastors are willing to engage in that conversation. Mm-hmm. At, a, at a minimal. Yes. Uh-huh. And to say that the, the church is willing to take responsibility for changing that narrative in the States today. I saw Brian Stevenson at a Impact Investing, right, Stevenson, mm-hmm. at an Impact Investing conference years ago. And, you know, I think the race conversation can be an easy conversation not to have mm-hmm. like in the, in my life, like mm-hmm. in, in my life, I, I don't know. And I, and I, I listened to this conversation and there were these stats that I was like, Oh my God. I just remember hearing this whole talk. I mean, his book, just mercy and, and the way he talks, it, it, it just moved me. And he tells these personal stories about his own journey that mm-hmm. I'm like, how could that happen to anyone? Yeah. And that's just one person. Yeah, like he, he's an African-American guy and he told us that one of the first times he went to court um, as a lawyer. <laughs> right, um, like as a top lawyer. He walks into the courtroom before anyone walks in and the judge just says, get out of here, boy. And, you're, and he's like, whoa, like I'm the lawyer. He told a story to us about having to be like strip searched. Mm-hmm. It was like the mm-hmm. most demeaning mm-hmm. experience. And I mean, I was moved to tears. And the biggest takeaway that I got from that was like, we can't be afraid to acknowledge race inequality. Mm-hmm. And right. as a starting point, like, and I don't, I definitely don't have a solution, but yeah. just to continue to engage like as a white female and not acknowledge that that's a conversation yeah is at least a part of it and to understand like the disparity. And I think as, as a woman, like in some ways I do feel like, like no offense, Jordan, like being a white male, Mm -hmm. but as a white female, like you experience oppression in a Mm -hmm. different way, maybe not as similar Mm -hmm. historically and, and in some ways very similar, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and not like very separate and different, but, um, there being this, like, uh, kind of like collective suffering of like repression that women have gone through that there can also be in a racial sense that there there is a relation right and it just confirms that the rules for the game in america were set by white men right and it's like i think about work all the time and we just were celebrating women's entrepreneurship day and week and 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 global entrepreneurship week uh globally and it's like work was created for white men like work can start to look different as the Mm. workforce grows to 51% female and there's all these other flexible household duties and childcare and all, all the things. Mm. And 
you know, one of the questions that keep coming up for me lately is, can success, can our definition of success look different? I'll go back to Brian Stevens and his mantra in his book is keep proximate, keep hopeful, change can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think this it's genius. So I think keep proximate, we need to be aware of the issues. Mm-hmm. We need to be close to them. It can be from like an ivory tower. Right. Is we have to roll up our sleeves and be willing to be involved. Mm-hmm. Keep hopeful is that we have to have our eyes on the horizon to say that, like seek the good, that there are good people, people are trying to change things. Mm-hmm. And then if we collectively work together, the change can happen. Mm-hmm. So I do... Um, I have that in like a little um, little uh, picture frame on my wall. Keep proximate and keep hopeful change can happen. Because it's easy to get, like the more you kind of get into this, the more you can think, wow, mm-hmm. like this is so dark. This is so intense. Um, but there are people that are like moving the needle. Right. And I think that's all we can do is just do our best to in our sphere to move the needle a little bit. And I guess at the heart of that is like empathy, but on such a deeper level, mm-hmm. like on a level that, the full understanding maybe never be possible, sure. but there's mm-hmm. the intention or attempt to really understand. And I think a big part of this conversation also goes to like the wealth inequality yeah. in America. Yeah. And uh, when I first watched, I think the video is actually from 2015 and it might be even earlier, but if you, you go to YouTube and, uh, Google Wealth Inequality America, there's this little like kind of cutesy infographic video and I can post it, but it's just shows like the statistics that are so beyond. Mm. And then America being a representation of such a small piece of global wealth, mm. right? Mm. Like a, such a large piece, but a small mm. population mm. and it'd be similar to the same like mm. inequality metrics. And, you know, when I think about all of it, it can feel really overwhelming. Right. And I think that what that brings me back to is what we got talking about at the gate of like being present, taking care of your side of the street, mm-hmm. like the same practice that you're going through of the intention setting in the morning. I feel like I also tune in and I try to come up with three things that I mm-hmm. can do, but listen in, like, where am I being divinely guided to in whatever, like in the text. And I think for anyone listening, like tapping into that, intuition conversation and i hope this has been an expansive conversation for our listeners i think we've uh gone covered a lot of covered a lot of ground and i want to thank you jordan so much for for, yeah engaging in this conversation and lily rose led through all of it yeah she's been such a good lily rose in case you don't know is my and my fiance's year and a half dog brendan her name is lily rose and she's just been snoozing I've been saying fiance because I can't soon. There you go. Get it in while you can. Fiance, fiance, fiance. Um, Jordan, is there any closing comments or thoughts or even a quote that you want to leave today's episode with? Oh, so much pressure. <laughs> uh, there's a poem I love called Breathing Underwater. Uh, and there's a big bad guy, Richard Rourke, with Breathing Underwater, which is really influential. And at the start of the poem, it, it talks about a guy kind of like building his house on the shore and like the sea kind of comes up, comes up. But he's still like focusing uh, on like building his house perfectly. And the last verse of the poem is eventually the sea came calling, calling, calling. And all I could do was build for myself a coral castle and learn to breathe underwater. Uh, and I think that's like so true for like this experience is that we're all going to find a, like a moment in our life where like for me, it was sobriety. For whoever's listening, it might be something completely different. Like where that kind of shift takes place, 
Um, and for I felt completely overwhelmed, completely like, wow, like what is going on? But um, we had to adapt to it and I had to make the decision to like, a force beyond me has like caused this change, but I have an opportunity to adapt um, and breathe underwater. Um, and I think that's like our, our job in life is that we can react positively in, to the situations around us and it can be totally different than we thought, but it's a coral castle, mm-hmm. like wherever that might be for you. Um, that it might not necessarily be the way you envisioned, like the blueprints of the house on the shore, mm-hmm. but like I wouldn't swap the coral castle for anything else. I love that. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, thank you, Wanda. Yeah, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in and uh, another riveting episode next week. I feel like you should have a mini keyboard to Head on over to Instagram at lilolife.co. Give me a like or a follow. And lilolife.co as the website. Check out the free resources. Password is Leela and things there that will change your life if you let them. Have a powerful week and see you next week.